Welcome, I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So two weeks ago, Peter Beinart. Last week, Yossi Klana Levy. Two really, really, really interesting guests, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, any interesting, particularly interesting feedback from last week, Uri, that you received? Um, yeah, I mean, I got a lot of feedback. I think we don't want to talk about Israel every week, but it is <laughs> obviously a recurring theme. We couldn't escape from it this week either, as, as you'll find out. Um, but there, I did get a piece of feedback that I wanted to read from uh, a big Tachid, uh friend of the pod, Yoshua. And he's he's referencing something that Yossi Klein Halevi spoke about when he said he'll he'll engage in a conversation with an Arab or a Muslim or a Palestinian who like compares the IDF to Nazis, he'll engage mm-hmm. with that. He'll sit down with them as long as they're willing to speak and have a dialogue. Mm-hmm. But he do- but he said he doesn't want to speak to Peter Beinart because Peter Beinart's beyond the pale. Even though Peter Beinart does not compare the IDF to Nazis, I don't think. But he, you know, but but because of his other opinions, and and you kind of like were pushing back on him of like why does it matter who's saying the opinion? We should just deal with ideas and not about your identity. Is that mm-hmm. basically what you were saying? So this listener um, gave us this feedback and he said, I think you and Rifki might have missed a small part of what Yossi Klein Halevi was saying about what views he considers acceptable from Palestinians versus Jews or other people. I don't think his point was that the legitimacy of the view depends on who is espousing it. I thought he was saying that he thinks there are certain views that are wrong or anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist. When those views are espoused by Palestinians, he says to himself, fine, I get it. You are my enemy and an enemy of the Jewish people, and you have these views because you are my enemy. The only way we can ever have peace is if I am willing to listen to my enemy, even though I think your views are wrong or anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist. The issue is that somebody like Beinart does not hold himself out as an enemy of the Jewish people or Zionism. So I think he was saying it's fine for Beinart to have these views, but we should all understand that these are views of our enemies, and having these views makes him our enemy. He even said at one point that he thinks Beinart should just stop pretending and say he's anti-Zionist or anti-Israel. I hope that makes some sense. So that that was the feedback. I guess that makes sense. I mean, I I don't think that's so different than than what we were saying, but maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding. But yeah, it seems like he basically thinks that the views are unacceptable. However, to be pragmatic in a complicated political system, you have to sort of sit down with things that are unacceptable sometimes. Right. But someone like Peter Barnard, he doesn't have to sit down with, so he's not going to waste his time. There's no practical someone, gain from, from speaking right, to him. Right, right. It, it, it seems like that's the distinction. Yeah. I hear. I mean, I think that kind of makes me sad because I would like to think that there is no such thing as an unacceptable quote unquote idea. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, obviously, that's an extreme statement. And, you know, ob- you know, the, everyone draws the, the line somewhere. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It makes me a little bit sad, but I understand where, where he's coming from. Right. OK, well, I mean, how about we get we can get into today's uh, topic and we can hear other um, controversial uh, ideas and statements and we can decide if they're worth addressing oh, and great. dealing with. <laughs> Perfect. So, Uri, I don't know if you've seen trailers, but there's this new movie that's coming out, An American Pickle. Did you hear about this movie? I'm very eager to see it. (laughs) Okay. So, I actually, I thought thought the trailers looked cute. But we Um, obviously can't talk about it until we've both seen it. We learned our lesson about that. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, An American Pickle is made by Seth Rogen, who's a well-known Jewish comedic actor, and is currently on a media tour promoting the new movie. And this movie is about a Jewish immigrant from the early 1900s who falls into a vat of pickles and is brined for a hundred years and then wakes up uh, kind of in present day Brooklyn and in and he had been perfectly preserved in the brine and Jewish he finds that he hasn't Winkle. actually 
age exactly uh, he has an age a day it's actually like it's one of the things that's funny in the trailer is that like it's the same beards right there's a lot of the same like weird looks mm-hmm. uh so it, it is kind of cute Two weeks ago, Seth stopped by the podcast WTF with Mark Marin, which is the second most famous podcast hosted by American Jews. Mm-hmm. Here's how the conversation went, according to the WTF episode description. Trigger warning if you are an anti-Semite. First of all, why are you listening to this show? Get lost. Secondly, you are really not going to like this episode. Seth Rogen returns to WTF for the first time in six years and has by far the Jewiest talk with Mark that two Jews ever had on this show. And that's saying something. The subject matter of Seth's new movie, An American Pickle, might have something to do with it. But they really get into their shared childhood experiences, their attitudes about Judaism that have changed over the years, and a consensus pick for who is the world's toughest Jew. The episode sparked brief outrage, specifically when Seth and Mark get into discussion about Israel. Like when they agree that they were both fed a huge amount of lies about Israel in their childhood. Mm-hmm. But they also talked about other pretty interesting topics, like the value of marrying another Jew, how they feel about Hasidic Jews, how they define the term chosen people, and how their grandparents might reflect on them looking at their lives today. So obviously this WTF episode is perfect for Talking Talkless. And we do want to thank the many astute listeners who sent us the press about this episode and said, you have to cover this. So what we're going to do is we're going to play actual clips from the podcast episode, so then we can dive straight into the conversation, me and you, Uri, straight from there. The first clip is from when Mark and Seth are discussing Israel, and their weird adult discomfort about it. Could you imagine living in Israel? Would you ever go live in Israel? No, it would be... uh, I'm the the same way, and we're going to piss off a bunch of Jews. It's like, you know... (laughs) For some reason, my mother, who's not religious or whatever, but there's a, her generation, they were kind of hung up on Israel and they find some comfort in it. In it. And I, I've been there and I'm like, I can't, I, I couldn't imagine living here. No, it's, there are nice Tense. parts. And, and I think you like for, like, I could imagine like, yeah, like you, at best you are convincing yourself that you are far enough away from a major conflict to not worry about it. Right. Which is like a terrible thing to convince yourself of. And like, I don't understand. To me, it just seems very like an antiquated thought process. Like if it is for religious reasons, I don't agree with it because I think religion is silly. If it is for truly the preservation of Jewish people, it makes no sense because, again, you don't keep something you're trying to preserve all in one place, especially when that place has proven to be volatile, pretty pretty volatile, you know? I'm trying to keep all these things safe. I'm going to put them in my blender yeah. and hope that that's <laughs> the best place to... That, that'll do it. Like, it, it just... It doesn't make yeah. sense to me. And so I... I and, and I also think that as a Jewish person, like, I was fed a huge amount of lies about Israel me my too. entire, the entire life, life. You know? Yeah. They never tell you that. Oh, by the way, there were people there. They make it seem like it was just, like, they're sitting there. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. the fucking was, doors I, open. I, Hours for the taking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it literally, they forget to include the fact to every young Jewish person, basically like, oh, by the way, there were people there. Well, they just want to make sure that you are frightened uh, of your own survival to the point where when you get old enough, you will make sure that uh, that money goes to Israel and that trees are planted and that uh, you always speak highly of Israel and Israel must survive no matter what. Yeah. And I don't understand it at all. Oh. And I think like for Jewish people, especially who are 
thought, you know, who view themselves as progressive and who view themselves as analytical and who view themselves as people who ask a lot of questions and really challenge the status quo, like, you know, what are we doing? Right. So, so Uri, I mean, I, I have had a lot of instincts, you know, just mm-hmm. listening to that, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I mean, I guess I, start wherever you want. Yeah. Why don't what, we, why don't do we try to make clip? it down the line of uh, the different main issues that were hit on there? I guess the main thing and the thing that made all the headlines was the part where he said the you mentioned in your introduction, the lies that they were both fed as children because we were told the land was totally empty. We were not told that there were people there when when the Jews came. I've I've heard that before, and then it was it was like reposted and retweeted. Like if not now, the organization we've spoken about many times, mm-hmm. they reposted the quote, and they're like, "See, like you know, Seth Rogen and so many other millennials understand the truth and whatever." It's like that whole argument seems so simplistic and silly to me. I mean, like who does who does he think Israel fought in 1948 in the War of Independence if there were no people there? Like or like what was explained to him? about like settling the land and the wars and the terror attacks are you you genuinely asking because i can tell you it's a rhetorical question obviously but i can tell you exactly what i thought as a kid okay like i because i think that when i when i heard that clip i was like yeah i think that's like a pretty fair critique like i think lies feels like a strong word but a very simplistic version of the truth i think that's like pretty fair i thought that there were a couple Bedouins, right? I felt like I heard the word Bedouin over and over as a kid. There are a couple nomads, right? Like random villages or tribes scattered around the Negev or something, right, in the south. And that 47 was fought by Israel or this like small band of Jews versus uh, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, right? All of these like surrounding Arab countries that were trying to take the only sliver of land yeah. that was going to get to the Jews. And to a certain extent, that's I a mean, fair that is narrative. is partially true. But, but when, of course it's partially true, but when he said, when he says we were fed lies, we were told that no one was there, I don't know, like, I... Are, do you, is it not okay. true? I mean, we, I don't. We can talk about it a little bit. I don't think we should get bogged down in like the history of it. Um, I don't think we would disagree. It would probably maybe be semantics of what to stress in terms of being fed lies. I would say maybe lies of omission. You can say in the sense that the Palestinian narrative was not fed to him in the way that the Jewish narrative was fed to him. And I don't know to what extent that is necessary or expected. Um, and it's, but so it you happens can make to also an be an argument that there's a fair reason for it. I understand. But I don't think his it, claim is crazy. It also happens to be that the, that the people that we now know as the Palestinians did not identify as Palestinians at that time. The Jews actually identified as Palestinians. The Arabs were Arabs and they were, they were tribal. They were whatever. So it's not, I'm also so, I'm very curious what Seth Rogen thinks the truth actually is. Like, does he think there was a country called Palestine that had a Palestinian people and nation in it and the Jews just came and kicked them out? Wait, I, he, he didn't say, we both listened to that. He didn't say anything. He didn't I know, say the I'm, word I said Palestinians. I'm, I know. I said, I'm curious what he actually thinks is the truth. Sure, sure. But meaning, but he, all I'm saying is I think there was a real huge outrage about his statement, but his statement that in our childhood education, in Jewish education, when we are taught the narrative of like the Israeli pioneers who created the state out of nothing and took over this barren wasteland, like it is true that there are a lot of 
there's a more complicated story that is not yes, told. Yes, we're not told about the Palestinian narrative that claims that the Israeli War of Independence is also called the catastrophe by the Palestinians. But also, we were not told, hey, there are a bunch of people who already live there, who have been living there for generations, who also were forced to right. leave. I'm not saying that Jewish education is perfect and that there, there can't be more things. I'm actually curious also about Seth Rogen, like where that was coming from. He's basically saying exactly what If Not Now says in most of their material like what we again we've spoken about in, in previous podcasts that's their whole thing that like Camp Ramah was like a big target of theirs like right when they were getting started a couple of years ago and it's like you lied to us you didn't tell us about the Palestinians you didn't tell us the truth about Israeli mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. and it sounds like Seth Rogen is basically saying that and he actually talks in the podcast maybe we'll hear a little bit he went to Jewish camp he went to Jewish school right. um, or Sunday school or whatever like he actually has a pretty I thought he said he went to day school I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know about that, but he he definitely has a a pretty traditional um, Jewish upbringing. He actually says that his parents met on a kibbutz in Israel, and he says that his sister met her husband in this Jewish camp that they both went to for like most of their a a large portion of their childhood. Um, So listen, I mean, I I guess I'll take a step back, and and then I want to hear what you say. We'll have to. I think we should move on to the other points. Hold on, I just want to stop for a second. I just looked up his Wikipedia. He went to Vancouver Talmud Torah Elementary School. Oh wow, wow, interesting. It's legit. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's very interesting. I. I mean, when I saw the whole controversy about what he said, I went and I listened to the entire episode. And I think if I would have just listened to the episode and that was it, I don't think I would have been so upset. It's, he yeah. didn't say anything that I've never heard before. He didn't say anything. It was funny. I could tell that they were joking around and they didn't mean for this to be like their official policy stance. <laughs> um, but that being said- I thought the blender line was great. Which line? <laughs> put, it, put them all in a blender. Oh, the blender, You want to keep yeah. it safe? Put it in well, a blender. Well, we definitely should, should get to that, that idea and that question. But I think it's sad. I think he, as much as he does have a Jewish background and Jewish education, I think he doesn't know that much and he isn't very educated- and I wish he knew more and I wish he maybe spoke to more Israelis. And, and, and we'll get to that also. He spoke to Isaac Herzog, the head of the Jewish agency. Mm-hmm. And because um, it's very important to understand that like. I'm actually just curious. Yeah. Or when you say that you wish he had a stronger education and wish he were actually more knowledgeable about mm-hmm. the issues. I totally agree. But do you think that he has a special responsibility to do more research and to know more things because he's Jewish? Or because if you're going to speak about things, you should yeah, know more about it. I think all Jews should know about Judaism in Israel. But like, yeah, he's he has a very public platform and he's talking about this stuff on a very popular podcast. So it's only responsible of, of a person to know what they're talking about before they speak to a large audience. I, I was just going to I was just going to end by saying, like, he really does call into question the the whole entire legitimacy and existence of Israel. He basically says, I don't get Israel on multiple levels for multiple reasons. And that's what, it just made me sad. It didn't make me that angry because I know a lot of people feel that way. Um, It just made me sad. But um, Rifki, what did you think? I think that's actually a really good point. Like, I think I I felt the same way. Like, I felt listening to it, like, I I felt a little cringy at some points. Like, I'm like, ugh, I feel like you don't like that you got a simplistic version. And I think that's completely fair. And I also don't like that I got a simplistic version. But the narrative that you are kind of espousing or creating or you guys are talking about, you know, half in jest, obviously, but also, like, really simplistic and that's not only about israel we could get into this more as we play more clips but judaism. Uh, talking about judaism in general i felt really un- you know uncomfortable about that because i felt like this is actually really complicated um 
but but I, I totally agree with you that listening to the whole episode, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I, I didn't say I, I liked that, it. I said I got it. Well, I liked it. The truth is that I don't love WTF. I just don't love Mark Maron's style. Same, same. Um, but I, I, I thought this was an interesting episode. I thought, I thought Seth interesting. Rogen actually was an interesting guy. He was interesting. He was very thoughtful. I, I'll, I'll give him credit, and then I want to go down the line and hit as many of these points as we can. The the nicest thing he said about Judaism was when he, he starts by saying he he's atheist he's like in terms of how jewish i am let's round down and say i believe in nothing about judaism in terms of the religion but then he talked about how his wife's um one of his wife's parents died recently and he was going on and on about how amazing the whole like jewish um mourning uh ritual and observance and and shiva and everything else is so amazing and then mark maron was agreeing and it's like just having that structure forcing you to address it and to talk to people and to be with people and 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 remember and whatever like it, it was nice that he appreciates that and it also is a good example how I don't think it's fair to dissect everything that he said because a lot of things that he said contradicted other things that he said within the same podcast. Like he said, he thinks religion is silly. He doesn't get any of it. But then he goes on about how amazing, you know, the the life cycle events are in the way that Judaism has you um, handle them. Well, I think he was talking about belief system versus rituals. Like when he said he was an atheist... He was contrasting being an atheist with l- appreciating ritual. Right, I understand, but I'm just in Judaism. The lines can be blurred between um, belief and and uh, do you have to believe in order to believe in the rituals themselves or to see value in them and whatever. But I mean, let's let's talk about some of the other stuff. Like, what about the thing about how he says that it actually in order of why he doesn't believe in Israel? The first thing he said was, "Why would you put all your Jews in one basket? It's like putting them in a blender." That's the first thing he says. The second thing mm-hmm. is the Palestinian thing. So, what are your thoughts about that? question so when i was first listening to it i actually had my thoughts went in two different directions the first one is a practical question right of sort of like is it a bad strategy to put all of the jews in one place for like physical safety and like the truth is that like i don't think he's wrong right if you're not a religious person yeah yeah like if you're not a religious person to to say like oh no, no no it's actually like totally a good idea to put all of this incredibly hated group that has been persecuted for thousands of years and guess what now our enemies also have nuclear weapons so let's all get to this one tiny little strip right which is like like a yeah, that he didn't come up with that idea. Like, I've heard a lot of people say that. And I think, like, I kind of hear it, you know, if you're just talking, like, from a practical perspective. But I would say that as a, on the non-practical perspective, from a philosophical perspective, it's a second conversation, right? Which is a totally separate thing of sort of, like, what do we think, right? And, of course, this is, like, a classic, you know, I love always getting back to this. But, like, what's the purpose of Judaism, right? right? I believe that the purpose of Judaism is to do something bigger than just, like, be a nation right like we happen to have jewish parents and we continue to like do these nice shiva rituals because they they maybe make death feel more meaningful i believe it's bigger than that right i believe that judaism has a purpose and our purpose is to uh impart goodness and godliness into the world and make the world a better place obviously a lot of people can define that differently Mm -hmm. but it really does become this sort of existential question of well what's the best way to do that right is it easier to do that when you have one state and all of the Jews in the world or the majority of the Jews in the world are living in that one particular state and you can create a system within that state that is inspiring enough that it can change the entire world or is it better to have Jews kind of spread out all over the world you know again this isn't what Seth Rogen was talking about but this is what I was thinking about as I was listening right so 
I don't know which is a better philosophical approach to spreading the messages of Judaism. And I don't think Seth Rogen is particularly interested in that question because I don't think that he believes necessarily that there is a philosophical undertaking that, right. the, that the project well, of Judaism yes. is involved in. That's what's so, very But that's what I kept thinking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he, he was obviously, I totally hear what you're saying. And it's, there's a lot to think about and talk about there. But in terms of what Seth Rogen was saying, he was obviously referring specifically to the physical survival and well-being of the Jewish people. And from that perspective, taking everything else out of it, yes, it doesn't make sense for all of them to be in one place. But what about the continuation of, of Judaism and Jewish people and the spiritual existence of the Jewish people? You know, if you spread them out in the whole world, it's actually interesting. I spent a couple of holidays um, years ago in Germany. There's a lot of um, mostly Russian Jewish right, immigrants right, right. in Germany. And I went for Pesach and Yom Kippur. And the, from what I understand, the, the policy that Germany actually had, basically after the Holocaust in the last few decades, Germany wants to show that we love Jews now and we have Jews in our country. So they're basically giving monetary incentives to Jewish people to come move to Germany. But from what I understand, part of the deal... That's interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And it's mostly... From any country in the world? Like I, I could get I think so. Compensated? I, I'm pretty sure. But I know that most of the people who, who took advantage of that, I don't think it's only for them, but most of the people are from the former Soviet Union. Well, that, that makes sense. Right. Because they, for, had, they for needed to leave. To and they, yeah, exactly. They needed somewhere to yeah. go. So, but, but what I understand the policy was, was that for the first few years, maybe the first five years of your living in Germany, the deal was you have to live wherever they put you. And what they basic, what the country of Germany basically tried to do was they wanted to show this is how much we love Jews. All of our cities have Jews in them. So they would basically spread them out. I don't think Germany is specifically trying to assimilate them, but that's, that's, but that's the irony of it. And that's what I was going to say. They're mm-hmm. trying to spread them out. They specifically want them to remain Jews because they have, that's the whole point of this program to show that we have Jews now. But it doesn't work because when you spread Jews out and they don't have a community, that's why I had to go there. Then you know, Louder Foundation does a lot of work with these communities. They're too small to have like a rabbi and to have a shul and they're not that affiliated to begin with. And in a generation or two, they're just not going to be Jewish anymore because that you need a community for Judaism to survive. So that just it was what, what Seth Rogen was saying just reminded me of that concept. Where it's, and I, the thing is, I don't think Seth Rogen is particularly concerned about assimilation. He even says uh, we don't have necessarily time to play all the clips, and I do want to play a couple more. But he says Mark Maron asks him, "Is your wife Jewish?" And Seth Rogen right. says, "Yes, she is." And you guys then, need to listen to the episode. It's very good. Here, why don't we, why don't we play that clip? We'll play, let's play that okay, clip. Okay. Is your wife yeah. Jewish? My wife is Jewish. See, so how, that worked out, I guess. It huh? worked. And what's funny is I don't care <laughs> that she's Jewish. And like, like I would have been totally happy marrying a non-Jewish person. It's totally coincidental that she's yeah. Jewish. And it really bothers her when I say that. Like she, she, she yeah. wants her. She wants her Judaism to have some value to me, even though it doesn't in any way. Well, I don't know that you would know if that's true until you did. I don't. I bet you wouldn't be great with a non-Jew. Yeah, maybe I'd be okay. I think yeah, you'd like, probably be okay, but you don't. But you don't. You know, there's not that. I I was married to a Jew, and that didn't work out. And yep. then I was married to a non-Jew, and that didn't work out either. <laughs> so there you go. And I used to, <laughs> Sometimes religion has nothing to do with it. <laughs> So, I, I mean, clearly Seth Rogen is at least claiming and saying that he doesn't, he had no interest in marrying a Jew. It makes no difference to him that his wife happens to be Jewish. Um, and I think also Mark Maron made a very interesting observation, which is you're, he's basically saying, you're saying that, Seth Rogen, but I'm not sure if I really believe you. And if you were married to a non Jew, I think 
it might not work out because then you might realize that maybe I do, maybe I would work better with a Jew. Maybe I would want my children to be Jewish, even though Seth Rogen later says that he, they're not going to have children. So I guess that's yeah. not really a valid argument. But I mean, what, what were your thoughts about that part? And it's also interesting to to connect the Jewish part to the Israel part, because I think people want to separate that as two completely unrelated things, but realistically, psychologically, on a human level, like they're intertwined. And I think the fact that Seth Rogen is so apathetic about his Judaism, to me, clearly translates and connects to the fact that he's apathetic about Israel, or even just claims he doesn't understand Israel. There, you know what I mean? Like it's not I coming from totally a human true. rights perspective big, yeah, exclusively. Absolutely. But that's the, yeah, the same reason why many of us feel this sort of visceral connection to Israel is not because we've read all the history books and we understand the context okay, better than other fine. people. It's because we have this visceral emotional connection that doesn't make us more right or make him more wrong, right? It's, well, it's not about do, right do, or do wrong. It, it, well, I mean, yes, but I think it's also about acknowledging reality. And I don't know if he would admit that. That's, I don't know because I think he would say, no, I don't believe in Israel because it's on a human rights level, it's immoral. But I think that he might really believe that. But I think the fact that he is so apathetic about his Judaism is also why he's apathetic about Israel. And I just want to. I think that can absolutely be true. But I think at the same time, there are plenty of people who care very strongly about Israel who maybe push down other aspects of maybe their own emotional thinking because of that emotional connection. And I'm not. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying they're not acting more from a more rational, realistic place of like I understand the world. They're also acting from a very emotional place. Right. I mean, Peter Beinart. I mean, seems to care very much about the Jewish people and about his Judaism, but he also doesn't believe in the Jewish state now. So I'm, obviously, it's possible for to have um, to have that combination of opinions. It's not very common. I thought the conversation that he. That, that he said that about him and his wife, though, I thought that was really interesting. And I thought it was really valuable. Um, you know, because I think to a certain extent, we're all more comfortable with people from our own cultures, mm-hmm. right? And that's that could be Jew versus non-Jew, right? That can be someone who's an atheist Jew, who's just more comfortable with someone, you know, similar backgrounds in some ways. I actually remember a, a family member, and I, I was uncomfortable with it at the time, and I'm uncomfortable with it now, yeah. a family member probably 15 years ago, right? I was probably a teenager. I was talking to them about about marriage. Uh, it was an older family member. Uh, and they said to me, eh, I don't think you should marry someone Sparty. And mm. I said, why? What do you mean? And they said, different cultures. It wouldn't work. You know, they're, they're, they're different than us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought, that's really weird. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to a certain extent, the way, the, the differences between me and a Sparty person and the difference between a secular atheistic Jew and a secular atheistic Christian, I don't know, like, I kind of hear what he's saying. Meaning, it happens when he says, like, I married a Jew, and like, thank God things are going fine, but I think if I married a non-Jew, things would be fine also. I don't think he's so wrong. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know. It's hard so to... Wrong. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the person. There's so many factors. What I thought was more interesting than his argument was actually his wife's response. The fact that it made right. her a little bit uncomfortable, that she thought her Judaism was a critical part of herself, and he didn't think it was a critical part of what made him attracted to her. He thought that was totally irrelevant, and right. she thought that was essential. And I thought that was actually much more interesting. What yeah. do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there there is a certain stereotype that women tend to be a little bit more 
spiritual minded than men. And so I don't, it sort of sounded like it fell into that a little bit oh, that's for me. Interesting. Mm, I didn't think about that. Like you think that to her Judaism, like, do you think that she, I guess it, it kind of sounded, it kind of sounded from what he was saying that she maybe cared about the fact that he was Jewish and maybe yeah. that was important in her choice of him as a partner. Right. I mean, I, I don't know her, his wife at all. So it just it sounded like um, yeah, um, she yeah, total conjecture. He, he, he self identifies as believing zero of Judaism as a religion. And I would assume she probably believes a little bit more than zero. And therefore marrying a Jew for her was important. You assume it's more than zero because I'm just making a total assumption based on his characterization of her in that right, statement. Right, right, right. But but that's interesting. I, I don't know, and I, and I, that to me always comes back to the question that we talked about many times, talked about in the, the Michael Chabon episode of sort of like what what's the value in marrying a Jew if Judaism doesn't stand for a belief system? Right. Well, but like why? Yeah. And and we don't know. We don't know Seth Rogen's wife on a personal level, or even we have never heard words that she said. We're only hearing one particular well, anecdote. Right. But this, that's, what so I that's, think is... The other clip that I want to play is the one where they talk about kind of like, what is what does it mean to be Jewish? And like, if Judaism disappears, what are we going to lose? And yeah. I think you, it actually relates to something that you talk about yeah, a lot. definitely. And it's another thing that I found very, very sad. But before I say that, the kind of part of the story that we didn't really say that I just want to make sure we address is what happened after this podcast episode and after the, the controversy kind of erupted. Basically, Seth Rogen then had a Skype conversation or a Zoom conversation with mm -hmm. Isaac Herzog, Bougie Herzog, who ran for prime minister, and now he's the head of the Jewish agency in Israel. And But I think that the deal that Rogan made was that it, the conversation would not be public. So it was just like a private conversation. But then I, I saw there was an article, we'll include the link, in um, Israel Hayom, and um, they were addressing this situation. The, the, the article says, in a Facebook post, Herzog said he and Rogan had a frank and open conversation. He said Rogan, quote, was misunderstood and apologized, end quote, for his comments. Quote, I told him that many Israelis and Jews around the world were personally hurt by his statement, which implies the denial of Israel's right to exist, Herzog wrote. In an interview with Haaretz, Rogan said he called Herzog at the urging of his mother and he denied apologizing. He said the comments were made in jest and misconstrued. Quote, I don't want Jews to think that I don't think Israel should exist, and I understand how they could have been led to think that, he said. Rogan also said he is a, quote, proud Jew. He said his criticism was aimed at the education he received, and he believed he could have been given a deeper picture of a, quote, complex situ situation. So he he on the one hand he's saying I don't I'm not saying that Israel shouldn't exist. He also doesn't say I think Israel should exist. He just said I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. And it was just silly. It, it was sad to me that he denied apologizing. Like Herzog was like it's okay guys. I spoke to him. He said he's sorry. And then and then basically um Seth Rogen was like no, I didn't say I'm sorry. Like it's just a little bit weird and silly. But what I think was very important and I hope Seth Rogen gained at least something from that conversation is that when you, when as an American or a Canadian Jew, uh, and you're talking about the concept of Israel, the, the idea of Israel, and who was there 150 years ago when the Jewish settlers started to arrive, like, we can talk about that, and that's important. But like, right now, there are 7 million Jews in a country called Israel, and you saying that I don't get it, and I don't know why it exists, if your words were taken into 
action and Israel ceased to exist as a Jewish state, I mean, this goes for what Peter Beinart said also, we're, like, we're not talking about a theory or an idea. We're talking about millions of people's lives that would potentially be in danger. Like Yossi Klein-Alevi said, he's American. He could come to America if he had to. All of the, the Middle Eastern Jews who came from all the Arab countries that they were kicked out of, they have nowhere to go. Their lives would be in danger. They would have nowhere to go. So I think for Seth Rogen to speak to Isaac Herzog, you're talking to an actual person who lives in Israel, who represents um, a lot of the Jews in Israel for the Jewish agency. I hope that that brought it more into reality for Seth Rogen. Like, criticize the government all you want, but realize that you're not talking about an idea. You're not talking about something that you that comes up around the dinner table, you know, in, in Vancouver or in LA. You're talking about mil- millions of people's lives, and I think that's an important thing to, you know, to remember. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hear the conversation from what I heard. It did not sound like it was an awe-inspiring, uh, Which complexity-inducing, the conversation between uh, Bougie Herzog Oh, well, it wasn't and... public. It was, it's not available. Right, right. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Right. Uh, but I'm saying, like, it doesn't seem like that's what... what I know. I'm being, I'm wishful, wishful thinking, yeah. I guess. Right. Well, well, Seth Rogen did say, look, it's a very complex situation. Okay. What I'm trying to say is, I wasn't given the complexity, right, which I right. think... Yeah, that's is, fair is enough. Totally accurate. Sh- should we play that last clip? Yeah, definitely. Okay. You know, what our grandparents hoped our lives would be like. Yeah. And how they would have to recalibrate that for today, you know, like that in, and, and, and that it's hard for everyone, you know, and I think that like for the, you know, if my grandparents were to see how I live, they'd probably be very proud of some of the superficial things, but there are the fact that I'm not religious. I don't speak Yiddish. These kinds of things would be appalling to them. And then slowly they would probably have to kind of like recalibrate <laughs> what they hoped their future generations would become and, and see that I'm a happy, you know, hopefully reasonable. You think they'd be upset you didn't speak Yiddish? My grandmother, she, her, I mean, probably a little bit like they, uh, they were, you know, they, they, like she would always say, you think you're a big shot. That was one of her favorite uh, sure. things to say. To me. You know, so, My like, grandparents used to speak Yiddish when they didn't want us to understand what they were talking exactly, about. But they like to like, I think the things that they had, there's more of them that they wish that we did. You know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, because it's all gone now. It's like it's yeah. over with them. If our generation, and you're younger than me, if we don't keep it moving, it's over. I mean, you know, no, all, for sure. the delis are closing. All that generation, you know, of, of those kind of uh, uh, traditions or, or just even habits, you know, <laughs> you know, like that. Because, like, I still... Sometimes somehow it's infused in me, you know, where it's sort yeah. of like I, you know, I can appreciate, you know, a good brisket, good pastrami, a good corn. Because you just aren't Jewish. Again, if we, if I found, if I found your body in an alley somewhere, yeah. I could determine you were a Jewish person <laughs> by the cholesterol level and by the, by the brisket in your in your gullet, <laughs> right? But no, but like that whole thing, I, I was always fascinated with that generation. Which one do you think reminded me of you? As I was listening, I was thinking, man, th- I hate this stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, and the, I think, yeah. No, yeah, I think the, the, the saddest part of the entire podcast for me was when Mark Marin starts off in a very promising like line where he's like, you know, if, if we don't keep this going, it's all going to disappear. Like the delis are all closing. Like mm-hmm. that's his go to and pretty much only example there. They talk about Yiddish and they talk about the delis closing. That's the tragedy yeah. is if, if they don't well, continue to Jewish a tradition. Extent, 
you know, as as everyone listening knows, and as we know full well, they are comedians and they are trying to keep it light, you know, so they're not going to talk about, you know, other things. But I think fundamentally this and this is something that we talk about often. I, I hate this idea of like Judaism is about bagels. Judaism is about the food. Judaism is about the songs. I, I don't think that culture is fundamentally important. You know, like, obviously, it's valuable because what it does in tying people together, people who might live in different places, people might have other things, you know, very few things in common, there is something nice about being able to connect over things that are maybe superficial. But if that's where it stops, if the superficial things like the deli, like the bagels, like, you know, things like, look, I love brisket. I had amazing brisket over Shabbos. Happy to talk more about it. But but that's, that's not enough. That's not religion, right? That's not, like, I would hope that if my great-grandparents or my great-great-grandparents saw me today, you know, look, would they be disappointed about things about my life? Yes. But I would hope that they'd be more disappointed in fundamental things than in my food choices. Because what does it mean for them to right. be, what does that even mean? Well, I, right. I, I agree that they're, they're comedians and they probably, if we ask them, is that really what you think Judaism is? Delis and, and bagels and, and stuff? Obviously, they would say, no, there's more. But it's also interesting what you, the last thing you said about how Seth Rogen was saying, and that's also the concept of his movie, The American Pickle, that mm-hmm. his great-grandfather would be so disappointed if he saw what his great-grandson how he how he lives, what his life is about. He always not religious. He doesn't speak Yiddish. Whatever. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people in America, um, in, in that generation, in the the, the tens and twenties, um, they themselves assimilated or became not religious. And like for an assimilated Jew, I don't think an assimilated Jew would mind if their great grandchild was assimilated the same as as them. So Seth Rogen is basically giving his own story. He's saying his great grandparents were very religious. That's why they would be disappointed. It's interesting because I think for assimilated Jews- Were they religious? That's what he says. Oh, I, I, I missed that. I also have to assume because there's basically a trickle down thing. You know, if he himself went to Jewish camp and school, right. that I means I guess it might parents- mean different things when people, different people say religious. But, it might mean know. different things, yes. I don't know about ortho- strictly orthodox, whatever. This is a little bit of a side point, but I think if his great-grandparents, you know, had been as religious or irreligious as he is now, um, you know, he said he's not going to have kids, but like, are his great-grandchildren even going to be Jewish or know that they're Jewish? Very unlikely, um, because that's just how it goes when it when it um, gets watered down like that. But again, I just want to say that I don't think that knowing that one is Jewish, knowing that one has a particular genetic lineage is very important. Well, right. I, I was just so, saying that uh, as like the lowest, lowest possible me. thing. But obviously sure. I meant care about Jewish, understand Jewish values. Judaism has a something important uh, a place in their life. I also want to say, because we're talking about the delis and the bagels, like this whole episode, I don't really fault them that much, but it's very Ashka normative. Did you notice that? Well, they're... Yeah, it's like saying no, because, it's like very male. No, like, no, yes, because of be, it was. because how they, he references the DNA thing at the end, and then you'll you'll recognize your body because of the um, the brisket in your gullet. Yeah, but because what they were talking about before is you can tell a person is Jewish just from their DNA, which is true and also not true. Like if an Ashkenazi Jew takes a DNA test, it will come back and say Jewish, and like that's interesting. And they point out because like your DNA test is not going to come back and say. Christian, Muslim, there's no such thing as that, but Jewish is an ethnicity and a group. But I think they, they made it sound, and again, they, they uh, might not actually believe this, they were just talking off the cuff, but 
again, that's true and it's also not true because obviously Judaism has converts and obviously Judaism has all different kinds of ethnicities from around the world who are all just as Jewish as anybody else. They were specifically talking about Ashkenazi Jews, but right. therefore, you know, I think, again, it was just an example of how their conversation was simplistic and a little bit sad if that's how they think about it. But it, that's, I think that that's exactly how it is. And I think it, it is simplistic and it is sad because if you think of Judaism as a culture, the culture that they mean is pastrami and bagels and Yiddish, right? And it's interesting as we talk about Yiddish because I think I actually had I love Yiddish, by the way. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. Since our conversation with Arun several months ago. And my podcast, grandparents. Yeah. Right, right, of course. Uh, I definitely have been thinking differently about Yiddish and trying to sort of reconcile because Yiddish to me now at this point feels a little bit different. It's not purely cultural. Mm -hmm. It's also not particularly religious, but it, it does feel like there's there's a you know a, a complexity and a mesh um, of, of different aspects with that. Um, but I think that yeah, when you see Judaism as a culture that's associated with these superficial things, that's how you're going to think of the world. You're going to think, oh yeah, so there's a DNA involved, and, and there is DNA involved. Right? I was recently uh, someone just showed me a doctor's form they filled out where you had to. Um, it was in terms of like sort of a, a potential genetic. Um, you know things that mm -hmm. they need that doctors need to look out for and it said are you are you black are you hispanic from this particular region are you an ashkenazi jew mm -hmm. or other right mm -hmm. there so there's it was like so funny how like that marker really genetically is meaningful to a yeah. certain extent right um, but at the same time if that that's you know the bl and end all that that is upsetting and it's true that it definitely devalues other types of jews yeah. who are listening or thinking about about this particular topic yeah i mean I, I would encourage people to listen to that original um podcast it is pretty interesting and it is funny at times i guess the, the one thing i would just close with is like you know and we've spoken about it before so we don't have to get into it but like i do disagree with when you said culture doesn't mean shouldn't mean anything it shouldn't be significant i think culture is very important but it's sad and it's empty if that is all you have if the i think that's what i said okay fine. Meaning, so, i think it's it's superficial if uh, that's right. if it's used as a tool for something deeper then it's great okay fine but right because you could say the definition right. then it you, doesn't mean you anything. could say the same thing about jewish ritual if the ritual is uh, done uh, and i do without any meaning or understanding whatsoever then it's also meaningless that's but a really I, good point i think the jewish culture even the culture that they're referring to not that i go to so many delis and whatever but i, I think it is fun obviously i love yiddish and I, I love all that stuff the comedy and whatever the things that they would identify with but when that's all you have and that's all, the only thing you can think of that also made me really sad when they were talking about what is judaism they didn't really mention values once or even helping people tikkun olam which i'm sure they know about it didn't come up um and that also made me sad because everybody knows about tikkun olam and at least that is something a little bit more i think um valuable than uh delis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree with you and i definitely definitely double down on the recommendation for people to listen to the original We'll put a link to the original podcast in the description uh, because I think hearing it from their own words really gives a, a better sense of things. And because they're funny. Yeah. They're funny. And by the way, Seth Rogen, you already spoke to Isaac Herzog, but if you want to speak to us, we'd, we'd be more than happy to uh, yeah, that's a really good point. let you set the record straight on talking talkless. <laughs> that's a great point. Seth, we're always here. And of course, the conversation does not stop with Mark, Seth, Uri, Rifki. <laughs> the conversation you are always a part of that conversation. Please, please, please be in touch with us. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast, and shoot us an email, talkingtalklesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Zaki Zoom.